Hey guys, support for this week's episode comes from our friends at Manscaped, the number one site for men's below the belt grooming. Yes, you heard right. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Yes, it rhymes. Yes, it's a hook. But boy, oh boy, this stuff works. It's great. Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping when you use the code GOODSEATS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off. Yes, with free shipping. Yes, at manscaped.com. Use that code GOODSEATS. And now, here's our show. 15 seconds to play. It's 110 to 105. The Colonels have that lead. McGinnis will inbounds. He's got it to Hillman. Darnell, a long way from home, goes to Keller. Billy's got the three in the sky. It is no good. The rebound tapped off when the chase is on. It's saved by Elmore. Going back into Billy Knight. Knight down in front, missing. Rebound to Kentucky in the two seconds. One second, ball game's over. It's all over in Kentucky. And the Colonels are going to hang their first ABA championship banner from the Raptors at Freedom Hall. They have won it 110 to 105. You see the players congratulating each other. The rivalry here is intense. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. Well, now, aren't we in for a treat? How you doing, everybody? It's Tim Hamlin, and it's a Good Seat Still Available, our curious little podcast that we do each and every week uh, with the topic that's devoted to what used to be in professional sports. Uh, it is uh, a distinct honor and a privilege to uh, bring to you today's uh, episode uh, with our uh, new pal, Dan Issel, who is uh, a basketball Hall of Famer, uh, both of the college and the professional ranks. And uh, we're going to get into uh, some of the wacky times of the uh, American Basketball Association where uh, Dan kind of earned his chops until he uh, segued with uh, some of the teams uh, in the old ABA into the NBA, where he went on also to uh, continue his uh, all-star career as a player and then later on as a coach. And uh, as you heard in that clip, uh, some of the uh, uh, amazing years uh, of Dan's early career were with the Kentucky Colonels of the uh, the ABA, perhaps one of the strongest, uh, most well-supported uh, franchises in the ABA's history. And, and uh, unfortunately, uh, one of the uh, franchises that did not make it, strangely, uh, into being absorbed uh, into the NBA. And uh, we'll get into some of those reasons. Uh, owner John Y. Brown basically trying to take his money where he could get it by selling players before the opportunity really to kind of have the team go wholesale into the NBA, but uh, some interesting twists and turns to all that. And we'll get into some of that with our uh, conversation with Dan in just a few moments. Uh, But that clip that you heard was uh, from uh, the one and only championship that the uh, Kentucky Colonels won. Uh, The game was uh, broadcast on WTTV channel four in Indianapolis. And uh, alas, the Indiana Pacers, excuse me, uh, lost out uh, to the Kentucky Colonels on uh, May 22nd, it was 1975. And uh, the first and only uh, national uh, championship uh, from that of the Kentucky Colonels uh, and the ABA. And uh, and Dan Issel, of course, with uh, folks like Artis Gilmore and uh, uh, Louis Dampier, and just a whole host of, uh, of ABA perennial all-stars uh, on that team. And we get into that with Dan about... Uh, his college career at the University of Kentucky and then segueing into the uh, ABA franchise in Louisville, the Kentucky Colonels. And we'll 
We'll get into why uh, Dan uh, made the decision to kind of jump into the ABA in its earliest years uh, and not go to, uh, say, the Detroit Pistons, where he was drafted in the NBA. Uh, we get into uh, not only the uh, the stellar career and doings of the Colonels, who are probably one of the strongest uh, on-court and off-court franchises of the, as the league, as we said, uh, but also, Dan, uh, getting to the uh, Denver Nuggets for their last year uh, as an ABA franchise and then obviously making the transition to the NBA, uh, both as a player for a number of years, as an all-star and uh, a team uh, uh, stalwart, as well as later on as a coach, uh, a head coach, that is, for uh, for the Nuggets. Two, two uh, tranches of that uh, from 92 to 94, as well as 99 to 2001. And uh, it's a tremendous career. We, we barely scratched the surface in this chat. I mean, just to sort of put it into perspective, I mean, Dan Issel was uh, uh, not only part of the 1975 Kentucky Colonels ABA championship, he was a six-time ABA All-Star. He was the MVP of the All-Star game in 1972 uh, in the old NBA. He was an All-Star in the NBA in his first season in 1977. Uh, I can't tell you how many times he was on first or second team's uh, all-star uh, uh, chosen for the ABA. He was the rookie of the year with the ABA in 1971. Uh, clearly uh, one of the all-time greats of the ABA, and his number was retired by the Nuggets. His number was 90, uh, excuse me, number 44. I don't know when that was retired, but I, it might have been when he was a coach, uh, maybe just after he was a coach, not sure. Yeah, it was an All-American in college. I mean, on and on and on. In the uh, Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, he is a college basketball Hall of Fame inductee from 2006. I mean, on and on, he is absolutely one of the greats of uh, of professional basketball. And uh, we are honored uh, to have uh, had a nice uh, conversation with him. And uh, we spend most of our time kind of regaling the old ABA, uh, some of the ups, lots of those, certainly some interesting sideways and downs. Uh, we get into those as well, as well as what he's up to now. And uh, he lives in uh, the Louisville metropolitan area and is very much behind uh, the effort there uh, to get uh, a, an NBA franchise. Uh, wouldn't that be an interesting round trip uh, to uh, be part of uh, getting uh, Louisville back to the top tier of professional basketball in the United States with uh, a franchise in the NBA? All of that stuff and more. Lots of fun little uh, uh, anecdotes and uh, interesting pieces of trivia that uh, you may not have known, including, by the way, uh, the quick cup of coffee that uh, Dan Issel had between the uh, Kentucky Colonels and the Denver Nuggets. Bet you didn't know this story. And you'll uh, want to listen as to what that team and that uh, side show, that side step uh, between uh, Kentucky and Denver was. Uh, and we'll get in all of that in just a couple of moments. We want to, uh, of course, say hello and welcome to our uh, great sponsors this week who are extremely relevant uh, as we get back into the ABA and the Kentucky Colonels in particular. And uh, why don't you check them out and uh, celebrate this episode with Dan uh, by uh, going there and uh, making a purchase, why don't you, of some some great ABA wear. Uh, the first place you want to check out is OldSchoolShirts.com. Our friends in uh, Cincinnati, we use the promo code GOODSEATS. You're going to get 10% off all of your purchases from OldSchoolShirts.com, including an extremely smart-looking Kind of, I guess you'd call it Royal Blue Kentucky Colonels shirt. Uh, it's beautiful and it's uh, uh, it's on sale, as a matter of fact, this week. Uh, again, at oldschoolshirts.com and make sure you use that promo code uh, Good Seats 
It's a great look, and I, I guarantee you'll you'll find it uh, to be a smart addition to your wardrobe. Once you're done there, you want to head over to streakersports.com, where we have another promo code for you, and that, of course, is also Good Seats, and you're going to get 10% off all of your purchases there. Uh, and not only will you find a Kentucky Colonel shirt, matter of fact, that this shirt there, a little darker blue in color, but it's also uh, a, a really smart looking logo with the uh, their championship logo, the uh, celebrating their 1975 championship. Uh, the 1975 Kentucky Colonels ABA Champs T uh, is there for you at streakersports.com. And you will also find uh, a very interesting shirt from okay i'm gonna i gotta end the tease here a team known as the baltimore claws and yeah the c-l-a-w-s not as not santa uh from 1975 it was the aba team that that was but kind of really wasn't and that's sort of part of the story we're going to get into with dan in just a few moments but if you want to remember that team that never was in the aba the baltimore claws check out streakersports.com and search up that shirt the 1975 baltimore claws tee and again, use the promo code GOODSEATS, and you're going to get 10% off that, as well as anything else you decide to purchase uh, from Streaker Sports, by all means. And then last, but certainly not least, head on over to SportsHistoryCollectibles.com and find a couple of cool pieces of memorabilia. In particular, at SportsHistoryCollectibles.com, you will find uh, a, a tremendous array of great trading cards from the ABA from the 70s, 73, 74, 75, including a really smart-looking uh, 74-75 Colonel's Collector's Card Set uh, featuring, of, of course, our guest this week, Dan Issel. Uh, some really cool cards there, uh, as well as a whole host of other ones from the old ABA, and they're in tremendous shape, well fo- photographed, uh, and you'll find some other great stuff there, too, of course, across all kinds of sports and leagues. SportsHistoryCollectibles.com, our pal Dean Mitchell Uh, and his friends in San Diego. Use the promo code for that site that we have for you, and that's Good Seats as well. Good Seats at SportsHistoryCollectibles.com. You're going to get 15% of all of your purchases there. So we thank our friends at OldSchoolShirts.com, promo code Good Seats, StreakerSports.com, promo code Good Seats, and SportsHistoryCollectibles.com, promo code, yep, Good Seats. And uh, we thank them uh, for their patronage of the show. We thank you for checking them out, making a purchase or two, keeping our our lights on and sending some uh, some nickels and dimes of love our way. We appreciate that. And we appreciate you giving a listen to our very fun conversation with the great basketball Hall of Famer times two, Dan Issel. And here's our chat that we had just last week. Maybe you can give our audience, especially these young whippersnappers out there who, uh, <laughs> who, who are who are new to the ABA uh, experience and the uh, and the Dan Issel uh, story, a little bit of background about you as a as a as a player. You were quite the phenom both in high school and in college, even before you ascended to the pro ranks, eh? Well, I I don't know if you would call me a phenom in in high school. I was actually Kentucky's third choice. Uh, at the center position uh, when I graduated from high school, but thankfully those two other players went elsewhere and uh, I wound up going to Kentucky, which was uh, a, a great, a great decision and played for the great Adolph Rupp at Kentucky and uh, had some success there. Yes. Well, uh, so I, I think it's also important for our audience to recognize, especially those outside the Commonwealth state uh, where have never been just how deep and rich uh, basketball is in that state. And the fact that you were going to UK 
and uh, and did so well there, right? It's it's not just going to college to play basketball, right? Which of course today is a very different experience. But in 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 Kentucky uh, legend and lore, right? It's uh, it's almost cult like status, right? So maybe a little <laughs> a little understanding of what that experience was like for you playing at UK. Uh, it, it is, and and I can still remember when I was trying to make my decision where to go to school, my father coming into my room and saying, you know, if you're serious about this basketball stuff, uh, Kentucky at that time, it had more all Americans and more professional players than any other school. And, uh, and, and you're exactly right. I, I know there are some great sports fans out there, uh, the Yankee fans and the Dallas Cowboy fans, but there are no more rabid sports fans than UK basketball fans. And even though it's uh, almost 50 years since I played there, uh, it's still when I walk down the street in Lexington and Louisville, you know, people talk to me like my career ended day before yesterday. So uh, having been a part of Kentucky uh, sports, Kentucky basketball, uh, because of my height, a lot of people ask me, uh, if, if I played basketball and then this follow-up question is where, and I don't say I played for the Kentucky Colonels or, or played for the Denver Nuggets. I say I played at the University of Kentucky. Well, I got to imagine you get more than a few free meals still uh, as you maybe roam around the state, <laughs> no? Yeah, yeah. There's There there are still a lot of benefits uh, being a former uh, UK basketball player. Well, all right, but always, always one, as as you're mentioning. So give us a sense of playing in college, and, and did you, you know, was it sort of predestined in your mind and maybe in, in your sort of your circle, your family circle, your coaches circle, et cetera, that you were going to go pro? It was, that, was that a fait accompli, or were you not quite sure? Well, I, w- I wasn't quite sure when I, uh, when I first started, uh, but uh, uh, my, my career really, as, as you look at the three years that I played there, uh, my, of course, freshmen weren't eligible at that point. Uh, my sophomore year, I think I averaged about 16 points a game, and my junior year, 25 points a game. And that's when I, I, I started thinking that uh, I might have an opportunity to play professional basketball. And then uh, my senior year, I averaged 34 points a game and was a consensus All-American. And uh, at that point, uh, it, it, it was pretty clear that I had an opportunity to play professional basketball. So this is around uh, the, the late 60s, the late 60s or so, right? Um, and the the idea of going pro, essentially, maybe while you were in college, really only meant the NBA, but how much of this ragtag, fledgling American Basketball Association registered on your radar while you were at, uh, playing college? Yeah, I, you know, the, the ABA uh, began um, my so- my sophomore year. Uh, Louis Dampier had been a senior at University of Kentucky uh, when I was a freshman, and though we didn't play there, uh, Louis is uh, one of the players that played the entire nine years uh, in the ABA with the same team. And Louis and I became fast friends, and so that was part of the decision also, uh, another part was being able to stay in Kentucky. I had met and married a, a, a Lexington girl and uh, and really fell in love with the state while I was at UK. So 
the opportunity to stay in Kentucky to play professional basketball was was also appealing. Uh, and so, uh, I, I, I thought that the ABA was, was certainly a possibility uh, before I graduated. Well, let's get into that a little bit. So this is 1970s when you graduated, and, and uh, you were, of course, uh, drafted by the uh, by uh, uh, the Detroit Pistons in the NBA. I think it was in the eighth round, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was. Uh, I had already signed. Uh, I'd already signed my contract with with the Colonels uh, before the NBA had their draft, and so that's why that's why I lasted till the till the eighth round. I guess they they wanted my draft rights in case anything ever happened with the uh, the Colonels or the ABA. Oh, well, so the, okay, so that's interesting. So so clearly, your personal situation, uh, wanting to stay in Kentucky, and, and that sort of. Uh, that scenario. So, but what of the ABA, right? I mean, you could not have been blind to the challenger status of it, right? We, we've had uh, Dennis Murphy, uh, the founder, uh, co-founder of the ABA on a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, he even admitted as much as saying a lot of it was, you know, trying to hustle and get some franchises going. And, you know, we got, took a, took uh, for the Chamber of Commerce's uh, in each of the cities, you know, credit and, and worth that uh, some of these owners were going to be just fine. Um, did you have any trepidation aside from the fact that you know, you were going to kind of stay nearby in, in, in the vicinity of Kentucky. Yeah, I really didn't uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, I, I got a call from Cliff Hagen, uh, who is another a former U.K. player. And at the time, he was the player and coach of the uh, uh, Dallas Chaparrales, another ABA team. And Cliff uh, informed me uh, that uh, that Dallas had, had drafted me in the ABA draft. Of course, the ABA was famous for having drafts. They had a draft every week. They drafted college players. They drafted NBA players. They drafted underclassmen. And so I told Cliff, I said, Cliff, you know, I really appreciate that. But uh, the, the only team I would consider playing for in the ABA is the Kentucky Colonels. And uh, uh, mysteriously, about two weeks later, the Colonels had my draft rights. Uh, but but at that point, the Colonels were owned by uh, five very successful businessmen here in Louisville. Uh, John Y. Brown, who, of course, started Kentucky Fried Chicken and would later be governor of the state of Kentucky. Uh, Wendell Cherry and David Jones, who started a little company called Humana. Uh, David Grissom, who was president of the largest bank in uh, in, in the state at that time. And so I, I always felt pretty comfortable and I never had, even till the, the very end, I never had any worries that my paycheck wasn't going to clear or that the, uh, the, the, the team was in trouble. I, I, I worried about the league at points, but I never worried about the Kentucky Colonels. Well, so that that's a very interesting uh, juxtaposition, right? Because there are very there were a handful of teams, right? As we'll get into a little later, as where you ultimately wound up before then going into the NBA, the, the Colonels were probably one of the most stable, steady, and uh, as you're hinting, uh, financially well backed uh, franchises in this arguably scattershot league, right? I mean, yeah, there are plenty of teams that uh, you know Pittsburgh not so great. I mean, so how many cities, right? For every strong one, there must have been two or three wobbly and then some, right? Exactly, and of course, uh, uh, the the Pacers uh, had a great team and a great following, great attendance. They always seem to be uh, a, a pretty firm franchise. 
the colonels were, but there were there were there were franchises that struggled from paycheck to paycheck. I remember uh, there was a, an owner in Virginia by the name of Earl Foreman, and every time Earl got a decent player, he'd sell him someplace. So he sold Charlie Scott, he sold Julius Irving, he sold George Gervin, he he sold a number of players, and uh, you know they were worried. Those players were always worried. Uh, uh, from month to month if their if their paychecks were going to clear. So, uh, but, you know, I think that was part of the allure. Now that you look back at the ABA, uh, you know, you forget about the, the bad times, uh, the coach uh, seats on airlines that stopped five times between ABA cities. And uh, you, you only remember the, the good times. And, uh, of course, the, the ABA was a very innovative league who had some great players. And so, uh, uh, you know, as, as, but as you said, Tim, there's, there's a, a lot of people today that, that don't remember the ABA at all. Well, I mean, you, you certainly hit the ground running. I mean, you, you were the you led the league in scoring your first year right out of the gate, for God's sakes, and, and not only the All-Star game and all that stuff. It, it, it seems, and certainly in the years as they sort of piled on there at Kentucky and Louisville, it, it seems like, I mean, we'll get into some of the sort of pitfalls of it, I guess, but it seems like it was a hell of a lot of fun to start, right? I mean, assuming the money was no problem with the Kentucky franchise, uh, there's just, you know, it seemed like there was just a more, uh, uh, just a greater enjoyment and and uh, excitement around the game in the ABA versus that of, say, the, the NBA by comparison. That, that was, uh, you know, when we finally went into the NBA, a lot of people asked me what was the biggest difference. And, uh, uh, that that what you just described was uh, was the biggest difference. I mean, uh, we enjoyed beating each other. There's no doubt about that. Winning the game was the number one priority. Uh, but then after the game, it, you know, guys from both teams would would end up at the same restaurant. And uh, toward the end, there were only seven ABA teams left, and so there was a much uh, greater camaraderie. And of course, with the three-point shot uh, and and uh, all of the great players we had, it was a very entertaining brand of basketball. So it was a lot of fun. We won a lot of games here in Louisville. My second year, uh, artist Gilmore joined our team, and as I said earlier, Louis Dampier, uh, both members of the Hall of Fame. Now uh, we won a lot of games. We probably should have won more than just the one championship, but we did have a lot of fun. Well, so tell me about playing in Louisville, right? So uh, having lived in Louisville for a couple of years in my own life, uh, it's, a, it's a tremendous city. I think it's uh, not on the radar of uh, a lot of sort of, uh, you know, East and West coasters. Uh, it's vibrant, but it's, it's certainly it certainly had its moments of wanting to be, shall we say, more major league. And the ABA, right, being a, a pro basketball team, uh, was almost sort of a solidification of that, at least at that time. What was it like playing in Louisville, uh, especially given a college program so strong and, and well known, both at the time and since? Yeah, it was it was it was terrific, and uh, you're ab- you're absolutely right. Even to this day, uh, Louisville is a well kept secret, and uh, it's it's about to explode. Some some good things are going on here. Uh, financially uh, and uh, socially, and Louisville is a great city. So uh, we we enjoyed the five years we played in Louisville, played with the Colonels, played in front 
uh, of a lot of UK fans and a lot of great just basketball fans. And as I said, we won a lot, and uh, we we really enjoyed our time in in Louisville. Did you ever feel, you know, that playing in the ABA and playing in Louisville, which is you know not a New York or a Los Angeles, right? Did you ever feel kind of like, you know, a little I don't want to say second tier, uh, or were you just too focused on on playing some exciting ball and, and lighting it up like you were? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think most of the of the ABA players felt like we were second tier. We knew. Uh, again, because of the rule at that time, your, your college class had to have graduated. It didn't matter if you went to college or not, but the class that you would have been in had to graduate before you were eligible for, uh, uh, to be drafted in the NBA. And of course, uh, Spencer Haywood, uh, a, a great player and, and a really good guy. Uh, you know, t- took a lot of, of uh, criticism because he challenged that, and, and eventually it was it was thrown out. But the ABA didn't have such a rule, and uh, you know, we we drafted a lot of great underclassmen uh, that that came in and and really upgraded the quality of basketball we were playing. People like George Gervin and and George McGinnis and. Uh, and uh, Julius, of course, uh, and and so, but we never. The the main reason that the ABA didn't survive was we were never able to get a, a national TV contract, and, and because of that, I mean, we were on sometimes, you know, an occasional game. The All Star Game was always nationally televised, uh, but because of that. We really didn't, and and we played in smaller markets for the most part. We really didn't have a chance to expose those great players and the great game of basketball we were playing uh, to a lot of people. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think that uh, most of us felt it it was second tier. Did you find that the college game, both uh, UK as well as uh, Louisville, uh, and, and in Freedom Hall, specifically sharing the same arena as Louisville's college program. Did you find that to be competitive, if you will, with you as well for the sporting dollar or the sporting uh, attention from the press? Or You, you know, I, I, I really don't think so. And, and this is one, even to this day, when people, uh, you know, don't know if a pros t- team could be successful in Louisville because of the University of Louisville, the University of Kentucky, uh, Western Kentucky, other other basketball programs. One of my favorite statistics is in the nine years that the Kentucky Colonels existed, the attendance at the University of Louisville basketball games doubled, the average attendance. And so I, I think it, you know the programs benefited one another. I think that people got excited about. Of course, at that time, Louisville had a great team too with. Wes Unsell and, and Butch Beard and and some other great players. So uh, you know it, it it was a competition, not so much for really upgrade your program and put a great product on the floor. Well, I got to think you. Ha- I mean, it, it, growing up or, or living in the in the late '60s, early '70s uh, in Louisville, I mean, it's almost like a basketball sort of heaven, right? Because you've got not only a a, a well regarded. Uh, uh, Louisville team and obviously UK by extension, you know, especially when you arrived, right? I mean, this you lost the finals in 71 and 73. 
Uh, you were, uh, you know, clearly you went deep in the playoffs both in 72 and 74, and you won the whole thing in 75 and came came close again in 76. I mean, you, you I think more than any other, I think, franchise, you were uh, probably uh, the most uh, uh, competitive and, uh, and, and successful, if you will, albeit only with one championship, but still, I mean, you were a perennial playoff contender. Yeah, and and you know that's what uh, that's what I mentioned earlier. We won we won an awful lot of games. We set an a- NBA record my second year, and uh, Artis's uh, first year. Uh, we set a record. We won sixty eight games. Our 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 record was sixty eight and sixteen, and we got knocked out of the playoffs. And and probably not probably we did have the best team in the league that year, and just. Uh, just tripped up in the playoffs, but we did win a lot of games. Uh, it was a very successful franchise, and uh, you know it's just a shame it wasn't one of the ABA teams that was merged into the NBA. Well, uh, before we get into sort of that that merger period of time, I, just some general thoughts about just the general ABA life, right? I, I my sense is that being a colonel was a little bit of a better better ride than say some of these other franchises. Let's say, like, ooh, I don't know, the Floridians or the Spirits of St. Louis, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, in terms of the travel, uh, in terms of the arenas, in terms of the the, the fans and the press, uh, any sort of things sort of stand out in your mind as sort of being uh, amazingly uh, terrific uh, as as you look back, and frankly, just horrific that uh, may have may have uh, scorched you for life and then and, and maybe never got over. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, some of the arenas we played at, I, I remember uh, the there was a, an arena called the Long Island Garden that the Nets played in uh, at the time, and uh, uh, it was it was just awful. I remember one game; it was so cold in there. The guys sitting on on the bench went back in their locker room and got their overcoats and they were sitting on the bench in their warmups and their overcoats. Cause it was so cold. A lot of the arenas, Tim were so bad that we would dress at the hotel and we, we, we took cabs cause cabs were cheaper than, than renting a bus. So we would take cabs to the arena. And after the, after the game was over, we'd put towels over our heads and put our warmups on and, and ride the cabs back to the hotel and 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 shower there. But um, you know, and some of the some of the crowds were just uh, pitiful. I remember one night in uh, Dallas before the Chaparrales moved to San Antonio and became the Spurs. Uh, Louis and I counted the crowd during the national anthem. He took one side, I took the other. I think there were 254 people at the game. Uh, but that certainly wasn't the case in, in Louisville. And, and you're right, after, after the first couple of years, uh, John Y. Brown bought the team outright. He was the sole owner, and he had a private plane. And I, I, I would guess that we were the very first pro basketball team uh, to take uh, charters uh, to, to various games. Now it was a smaller plane, and when we went out west, we would fly commercial. But just the the cities around close here, we would we would fly on a private plane. So uh, we had it a lot better than a lot of the other ABA teams had it. 
Any cities that you uh, enjoyed or look forward to going to uh, or, or frankly, didn't? <laughs> well, uh, I, ironically, one of the places I enjoyed going to was Denver. Uh, we, did, we didn't uh, go that often early on, but then, of course, when the league was down to seven teams, it seemed like we were playing uh, somebody about every other week. And uh, Denver is a, is a beautiful city. Uh, they had a nice arena uh, and uh, not a very good team. So I, I did enjoy there. I enjoyed going to Florida because uh, I had a couple of harness horses at the time and uh, would go out in the morning and watch my horses work out. Uh, and, and then, and of course, the Floridians weren't very good, so you didn't have to worry about not winning the game either. So those were probably two of my favorite cities. And how about on the other end? There must have been cities and arenas that you just loathed and or didn't really look forward to going to, even though you were going on a private plane, maybe. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, as I said, the one in New York, until they, they built the, uh, the Nassau Coliseum, uh, which was really a nice arena. But before that, it wasn't very good. I, I didn't enjoy going to Indiana because the Pacers had a great team and rabid fans, and uh, it was a very difficult place for us to win. All right. Well, t- tell me, as you know, obviously your your career is is uh, sterling, and and as they say, you know, folks can can look up all your stats. I mean, you know, a six time ABA All Star, and I just records after records. Um, in terms of winning the championship in in seventy five, right? So, uh, a culmination of a lot of good years and a lot of successful years of play. Uh, the team obviously getting stronger, lots of great players. You mentioned a whole bunch and some we haven't even mentioned yet. But 75, right, a little long in the tooth when it comes to the ABA, right? And and clearly the cracks in the league were starting to show. But I got to think that you guys didn't care about maybe those potential distractions and or the rumors of a merger at that point. You were more focused on winning something of a professional nature, that championship for for Louisville that season, I'm guessing, or, 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 or not, or were you looking on the other, you know, in the corner of your eye about how the league was going to last? No, absolutely not. Our entire focus was on winning the championship. And, uh, uh, the, the, the summer before that year, uh, John Y. Brown hired Hubie Brown, no, no relation. And Hubie, uh, was really the reason we were finally able to get over the hump and, and win the championship. As far as in-game coaching, being prepared, uh, making changes, calling plays, uh, Hubie was the best coach I ever played for. Now, you know, there were other coaches that had strengths in other areas. Larry Brown, great coach, uh, a great teacher, uh, of course, Adolph Rupp goes without mentioning, but but Hubie Brown was the one who really got us over the hump and, and won that championship. And uh, and he's he's another uh, member of that team that is now in the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. So uh, it was it was a great team from from uh, front office coaching staff right on down to the players. But uh, no, that was our focus all, all along was to win that championship. Well, and also was it you know it's probably the the seminal uh, year when uh, you and, and Louis Dampier and Artis Gilmore kind of you know uh, really the backbone of that team right uh, spread around with all the other all the other talent and a great coach in Hubie Brown. Ironic though, in some respects, that you played uh, Indiana, a topic of uh, 
uh, past episodes uh, for that championship. And, um, you know, Indiana must have uh, felt like they got punched in the gut, too, because uh, that there was a rivalry there between these two franchises, weren't there? No, no, no question about it. That was uh, that was certainly our biggest rival, and we were the Pacers' biggest rival, and I think that was the biggest rivalry in, in, in the ABA uh, because uh, we were the two teams that won the most games, won the most championships, and uh, were probably the soundest financially. And so it, it was a great rivalry, and to, uh, to win that championship series against the Pacers four games to one was uh, was sweet revenge all right we'll be back with uh, our conversation in just a couple of seconds but first uh, a little commercial message from our friends at manscaped the number one resource for men's below the belt grooming Yep, Manscaped. They offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And that's not just a slogan, friends. You know, I can't tell you uh, how challenging it can be. And I'm, I'm sure you guys out there in listener land, you know what I'm talking about. You know, that, uh, you know, the package, so to speak, downstairs, you know, below the belt. It's, um, you know, it gets a little unwieldy once in a while. And, you know, I think uh, one's partner uh, can always uh, benefit by uh, not having to deal with the uh, thicket and the musty aromas and uh, the other sort of uh, untoward things that uh, potentially are, are part of the mix down there. And uh, Manscaped, it's a brilliant company. It's a tremendous idea. And, you know, they've got tremendous uh, products to bring to uh, the well-groomed man or one who frankly needs to be. The electric trimmer, they've redesigned it. They call it their new one, the Lawn Mower 2.0. It's got proprietary skin-safe technology, so the trimmer won't nick or snag your private parts. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past, and uh, trust me, I've used the product. And boy, oh boy, it's, uh, let's put it this way, it's a hell of a lot better than using what you use on your face to keep yourself trim, shall we say. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver. Love that name. It's uh, the anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer, for that matter, for, you know, that sensitive area down there, right? You put deodorant on your armpits or under your armpits. Why not think about uh, perhaps uh, gussying up, shall we say, frequently in a deodorant-like manner uh, for your other sort of areas that, you know, a little bit more, shall we say, personal and, uh, and private. At Manscaped, it's tremendous. They've got a whole range of products. I highly encourage you to check them out. I have been fascinated by this company and the products that they offer. And uh, our listeners can get 20% off their first purchase, including, by the way, free shipping when you use the code GOODSEATS at manscaped.com. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping when you use the code GOODSEATS at manscaped. That's M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D, manscaped, past tense. Com, manscaped.com and uh, you'll uh, always have the right tools for the job if you know what I mean and uh, you want to keep yourself neat and clean and trim down there by all means it's Manscaped again 20% off and free shipping when you use the code GOODSEATS at manscaped.com again manscaped.com promo code GOODSEATS for 20% off and free shipping and we thank our friends at Manscaped and we thank you for listening to the rest of our conversation coming up right now. Do you remember? 
remember uh, having won that championship. Uh, sort of the the rumblings of people wanting to see the champs of the ABA, excuse me, of the ABA, you guys, and Golden State, the then champions of the NBA, to play a series, either exhibition or otherwise. I I, I keep reading that that I guess the the commissioner at the time, what was the fourth or fifth commissioner of the ABA at the time, Dave DeBusher, had uh, I guess somehow either approached CBS or or folks CBS approached him or them or whatever. Uh, did you ever remember even talking about or hearing about the possibility of a challenge series or game with the uh, your compatriots in the NBA? Absolutely. In fact, uh, our uh, our owner John Y uh, said he was ready to put up a a million dollars if the owner of the Golden State Warriors would put up a million dollars and the the you know the winner winner take all and. Um, you know, I, I wish that the NBA or and the Golden State Warriors would have accepted because uh, 1975, uh, the Kentucky Colonels weren't just the best team in the ABA. The Kentucky Colonels were the best team in professional basketball, and there's no doubt in my mind, uh, even though that team had Rick Barry and and Jamal Wilkes, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, that we would have won that series. But of course, the NBA. Uh, turned it down because there was nothing for them to gain and everything to lose. Yeah, I think Hubie Brown, right, a legendary coach across all kinds of different uh, ports of call. I think he has been quoted as saying that he feels that that 74-75 Colonels team that you were on that won the championship was the best team he ever coached. Uh, To this day, if you you see Hubie, and it's unbelievable that that Hubie's still doing uh, color on the TV games at his age, I think he's still the best at it. Uh, and uh, if you look closely, you'll see Hubie wears his ABA championship ring to this day. Love to get Hubie on at some point uh, if he uh, wants to regale and go back in, de- in the depths of time. All right, but let's talk about the after the sort of the, the, the halo of that championship, because it's uh, interesting, certainly to me looking back, right, that that is the what essentially became the last year of the ABA's existence going into 75-76. Maybe you could give us, give our audience a little bit of a sense of sort of what was going on with that franchise and in your mind with regards to what the future held with this thing called the ABA and the Colonels. Did you think that things were going to continue or did you know it was kind of near the end and you maybe had gotten your just desserts just before maybe the ship was going to sink? <laughs> well, uh, for me, everything worked out great. Uh, about uh, two or three months after we won the championship in, in 75, uh, John Y., much like uh, Earl Foreman that I talked about before, was, was looking to, uh, to put some money in his pocket, and uh, I was sold. Uh, and and wound up uh, playing for the Denver Nuggets uh, the last year of the a- of the ABA, and I think that uh, at that point, Tim, it was pretty obvious to everybody. I mean, we were down to seven teams. Uh, two or three of those teams were struggling mightily. In fact, the last ABA All Star game, uh, there weren't enough teams to field two all-star teams. So the last ABA all-star game was the Denver Nuggets because we had the best record at, at some particular date against a team of all-stars from the other six teams. 
And so I think at that point, everybody knew that the, the ABA days were numbered. Now, we, we all hoped that some of the teams, that there would be a merger and that some of the teams would join the NBA. We certainly didn't know which teams. Uh, and uh, we, I think we knew uh, one or two that wouldn't. But uh, we, we hoped that you were on a team that would be part of the merger or that uh, the ABA would just go away. So that last year of existence was probably one uh, that everybody knew the ABA could no longer exist. Well, which is ironic, though. And you kids out there, you you know, check out YouTube and check out that all-star game from 76 because that was in Denver. Uh, It was uh, obviously the format a little different, as you just mentioned, but it's also the launching pad, literally and figuratively, for people like Julia Serving and others for the slam dunk contest, which is obviously part of today's culture. Um, That's kind of, I think, ground zero for that competition, no? You're exactly right. And Carl Shear, who was the general manager uh, of the uh, of the Nuggets at that time, should get all of the credit for what is now the NBA All-Star Weekend because it started with that All-Star game in Denver, Colorado. Uh, Glenn Campbell uh, did a concert. That was the, the night question before. I was going to ask you. Who was the musical artist at the time for that game? <laughs> <laughs> Glenn, Glenn Campbell did the music. Uh, and uh, as you said, the first slam dunk contest that uh, came down to uh, to David Thompson and Julius. And of course, Julius won by running the length of the floor, taking off from the free throw line and, and dunking the ball really quite easily. And, and Julius was the winner of the first slam dunk contest. But uh, uh, that was the birth, not only of the slam dunk contest, that was the birth of All-Star Weekend. So uh, there's something else, though, I want to unpack, though, because uh, a little known fact, right, before, you know, going from Kentucky and getting you ultimately to Denver, there was a little detour in between that I don't think many fans, even of the ABA, recognize <laughs> happened. You want to? Yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. What, what happened there? Exactly. Exactly. Well, as you mentioned, Dave DeBusher was a commissioner and, and Dave was trying to hold the league together and, and keep it together. And the Memphis team had folded and he basically gave the franchise to a couple of rock promoters in Baltimore, rock concert promoters in Baltimore. And um, uh, I, I was, as I said, sold uh, to the Baltimore Claws. And uh, I, I spent 10 days in Baltimore uh, and uh, the, the coach, there were a lot of former uh, Memphis Tam players on that team. Uh, and and um, we, we had a training camp and uh, about the 10th day, I got a call from John Y. Brown and, and John was getting roasted in the, in the papers in Kentucky uh, because he had sold me. Um, and, uh, so I got a call. I was in my hotel room in Baltimore with my wife and my little girl. And I got a call from John Y and John Y said, if I get you out of Baltimore, uh, would you say some nice things about me in the Kentucky press? And I said, John, you get me out of Baltimore. I'll do anything you want. He said, well, I'm here in the hotel, come down to room 212. 
And so, and so what had happened, and, and I didn't know this at the time, uh, but the, the, the people in Baltimore that had been awarded the franchise or given the franchise uh, had no money. And I don't know, I've, I've heard a, a figure of 350000 and I've heard a figure of a half a million. But one of those two figures is what they were supposed to pay uh, Brown for, for me. And they never paid the money. And so uh, John had cut a deal uh, to sell me to Denver. Uh, and, uh, and so I, after 10 days, I was on a plane to Denver. And, uh, and I said some nice things about John. And, of course, as I said earlier, you, know, you never know about life and where it's going to take you. But the, the following year, there was no ABA. There was no Kentucky Colonels. And, uh, and I was fortunate and blessed to be uh, on one of the teams that was merged into the NBA. Well, yeah, I mean, you're putting it mildly, right? I mean, because uh, you, you got out of Baltimore, uh, frankly, before that ship collapsed. I mean, and it, that's an interesting footnote in, in ABA history, right? Because the Claws only played a couple of preseason games, and then they, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, dissolved into oblivion. But it's also interesting, too, that that was a, a wayward franchise even way before that, right? Because I think they were part of the original league back in 67 uh, as New Orleans, and then they went to Memphis, and then they should exactly three or four times in Memphis, and all kinds of stuff, but so yeah, we'll talk about good fortune. I mean, that's uh, that's that's a bit of divine providence, uh, I think. No, Dan. There's no, there's no doubt of no doubt about that, and uh, and you're absolutely right. You know your ABA history, and uh, that that franchise lasted, I think, for about three weeks. I think they played three exhibition games. A, a funny story. Uh, my my uh, uh, attorney at the time. Uh, who was with me in all of those places and traveling from Kentucky to Baltimore and Denver uh, made a collage and he wrote a a letter to the editor of the Baltimore Sun and asked him if he could send a picture of me in a Baltimore Claws uniform because he wanted to include that in the collage. And and the, the the editor wrote back this marvelous letter that said uh, uh, there was no such picture ever taken. And he said, in fact, trying to locate somebody associated with the Claws franchise is like trying to locate last evening's thunderstorm. So the the, the Claws disappeared, and everybody associated with it. I, that, amazing story, but but frankly, emblematic of the ABA generally, right? Again, I and I think. In many respects, you lived a bit of a charmed life in the ABA, given all the other things that happened to it and to players and people and personnel uh, that were part of it. I mean, you, you arguably unscathed and, and wound up with one of those franchises that that made the absorption into the into the NBA. I let me tell me tell me about Denver that first year and then, frankly, Denver that second year. Right. That first year was ABA the last year. I'm really interested to know what it was like playing for that franchise solid relatively as it might have been knowing that the ABA was what nine teams and or and shrinking and or uncertain and then the the transition into the first year of the NBA I, I, I'm really interested to hear are there any differences or continuity or I, I that seems to be a very interesting time when you go from one league with a team to another league the same team any differences or thoughts about that 
Well, it, it was an outstanding team. And, and again, you have to give Carl Shear all the credit because Carl was the champion of the, of the merger. He, he is the main reason in my mind that the, that the merger got done. And, and for instance, when he went to Denver, the team was still called the Rockets. Ah, that's right. And he said, well, he said, this won't work because there's already a Rockets in the NBA. And so we have to change our name for when we go in the NBA. And that's when the Rockets, the Denver Rockets became the Denver Nuggets. And we had uh, Larry Brown, who's a Hall of Fame coach, Doug Moe, who uh, wound up winning more games in, in Denver franchise history than any other coach, was our assistant. Uh, we had David Thompson. We had Bobby Jones, who was just inducted into the Hall of Fame a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we had an outstanding team. And we got, we got with that Denver team, we got to the championship once again. And so I was in the championship round four times in the ABA and only won it once. But uh, Julius Irving and the Nets uh, beat us in the, in the championship game, uh, the sixth game being played at Nassau Coliseum, uh, which uh, was the last game ever played uh, in the ABA. Uh, and so uh, the following year after the merger happened and the four ABA teams the Nets, the Pacers, the Spurs, and the Nuggets went into the NBA. We were part of the Midwest uh, division in the NBA. And, uh, uh, you know, it, uh, it, we didn't have the three-point line that year. Uh, it took a, uh, The NBA wanted to make sure that everybody thought it was their idea instead of being an ABA <laughs> innovation. So, uh, the, the NBA waited a few years before they added the three point line, but, uh, uh, we won the Denver Nuggets won the Midwest division, uh, the first two years we were in the NBA. So, uh, there, there wasn't any real transition. We had a great basketball team and, uh, and, and, and won the division the first two years. What was the difference going into that first year of the NBA? Did you, um, you know, were the NBA players a little, um, I don't know, disdainful towards uh, the ABA players? And, and, you know, I can't imagine it was the smoothest of uh, of of combinations. And, and maybe there was a little, I don't know, I'm just curious as to whether you're, you're obviously mentioning a little bit of sort of the reversion, I guess, back to the more staid NBA style of play. So that clearly was a bit of a, an adjustment. But, I mean, did you feel like you know, now was now is the actual real time you could prove how how good you guys really were, or did you feel like you were getting sort of second-class citizenship treatment again, even though you were part of the NBA? I, what was the what was the mindset, or was there no difference really at all? Well, I, yeah, I, there was some differences, but uh, to me, the biggest difference was the lack of camaraderie. I, I mentioned earlier, uh, ABA players, uh, you know, really enjoyed being with one another, and you know, we'd, we'd play, uh, play an NBA team. Of course, there were many more teams, so you didn't see each team as often as you did the last couple of years of the ABA. Uh, but, you know, there wasn't any conversation on the court. Uh, the, the, uh, I, I think one of the reasons uh, that the Nuggets were so successful early on is that, you know, we had some athletes that could get up uh, get, and get up and down the court, and the, and the N- NBA was still kind of a, 
pound the ball inside to the big man league. And, and, uh, uh, but I, I, I didn't feel like we were second class citizens, but we did have a little chip on our shoulder, uh, thinking we certainly had something uh, to prove. Were you surprised that Kentucky didn't make the jump into the NBA or, or not? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm sure now that franchises are worth a couple of billion dollars, I, I, I'm sure John Y. Uh, wish that he had included the, the Nuggets, uh, excuse me, the Colonels uh, in the merger. But at the time, and again, you know, this was an astute businessman who, uh, who didn't, he played with his wallet, he didn't play with his heart. And uh, the, the, the cost of going in to the NBA was a steep one. I, I, I think it was like $3 million. You probably know better than I, Tim, what the terms were. But uh, there was a high cost to go into the league. We didn't get any TV money for several years. Uh, we didn't get a first-round draft pick the first year. And uh, so what John Y. Brown did was he dispersed his players – uh, artists, of course, went to the Bulls. Uh, Louis Dampier went to the Spurs, and and he was paid for that. And then he went and bought the Buffalo Braves NBA franchise. So, um, it, you know, again, if you were just looking at it from a strictly financial deal, which is what John did, uh, it, it, he probably made the right decision at the time. Well, obviously, this there's another reason why I'm asking that, right? Because you're currently involved in a very substantial effort to uh, maybe finally and once and for all get Louisville into the NBA. Do you want to tell our audience a little bit about sort of the genesis of that idea and frankly, how it's going and what you think it might turn into? Yeah, I uh, about a year and a half now, I was approached by a, a group of businessmen and women here in Louisville uh, who I think at the time uh, thought that uh, expansion, NBA expansion, uh, was a little closer than it than it actually is, but uh, so I'm doing consulting work with uh, with this group called NBA to Lou. That's the 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 number two NBA to Lou, which happens to be our website, and um, and and we're doing a couple of things. Uh, we're getting prepared. I have been charged with the task of if and when the NBA does expand. Uh, we ha- we want to be ready. We want our application to be on the top of the list. And so, you know, we're, we're doing things like looking for investors. Uh, we're uh, looking at arenas. And, and we're also uh, building a grassroots uh, movement of support to get the NBA to Louisville. Like, like I said earlier, uh, Louisville is a major league city in every aspect except for the fact it does not have a professional sports team. And, and we realize that, uh, again, if and when the NBA expands, uh, there, there's going to be a, a lot of competition for those, for those franchises. Uh, but we think, uh, because for a number of reasons, number one being the love of the game of basketball here in the state of Kentucky, that we can make a very compelling argument that the NBA needs to have a franchise here in Louisville. So uh, it's going well. 
we we uh, are at the mercy of the NBA to decide if and when they are going to expand. But uh, if if they do, uh, we're going to be in a position to uh, uh, to make a presentation. Uh, to have an NBA team here in Louisville. Well, and a top-notch facility, that Yum Center. It's called Yum Center, I think? It's unbelievable. It would be one of the top seven or eight arenas in the NBA today. So uh, that's also available to us. Would you – so is – and maybe this is a delicate question, but relocated franchises, would that be in your wheelhouse as well, or or is that the politically incorrect thing to say? (laughs) Well – we we would uh, we would take a franchise how, however uh, we could get one. Uh, I I think moving one today, uh, you know, no no league likes to see movement of their franchises, and uh, each each team is, seems to be doing well. The the TV money has gotten so large uh, that uh, you know teams are making uh, money even if their arenas are half empty. But uh, so, so getting a team to move would be difficult as well. But uh, we'd, take, we'd take one however we could get it. Oh, I, I think there are, there are a handful that uh, would uh, certainly entertain uh, the idea. I'm sure Kansas City would love to see one too with that Sprint Center that's sort of sitting uh, without a, a pro franchise after all these years as well. So I, we talked uh, to uh, our buddies up in Seattle who are uh, uh, ecstatic that the, an NHL franchise is – is getting there, and they they want their Sonics back. Appetite is there, the competition is there. I, it seems like you've got a a really strong thing. What about though? Uh, are there things in in the in the interim that could help your cause? So, for example, a G League team would that be perhaps on the long term plan, maybe to help s- sow some seeds? You know, we have had some discussions about that, Tim, and and our feeling is uh, that. Uh, it, it, Louisville has been kind of portrayed as a minor league uh, city. Uh, we have a triple-A baseball team here. We have uh, minor league soccer. And, uh, you know, we, we don't want – we're trying to make this a major league city, uh, not, not, not interested in, in really having another minor league uh, sports team here in Louisville. So uh, I, I think we'll probably pass on the G League in the interim interesting but yeah i mean clearly there are absolutely cities that uh, have benefited uh from a pro franchise right and and have 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 used it as a, as the crux for uh, becoming quote unquote major league and you could make the argument for memphis you could make the argument for oh, there's a, a handful of other cities out there uh across all sports and i it 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 doesn't strain much logic to think that uh louisville metropolitan area kentucky slash uh, Ohio, that sort of general region, that area, Indiana couldn't support and with uh, with fervor a, a pro franchise. So we we clearly wish you the best of luck. And I gotta think that there's also um, and we, we go very deep into to history and, and the past and stuff. There's there's uh, I wouldn't call it nostalgia, but there's actually some built in legacy or history, right? That that could automatically be transferred into this new franchise if if and when, right? Because the Colonels, you know, are still a glint in, in certain people's eyes. No. Yeah, no question about it. The first, the first banners we would uh, we would hang in in the Yum Center are the uh, the Colonel Championship banner, ABA banner, and uh, the retired numbers that we have as a franchise uh, in Louis and Artis and myself. 
Well, Dan, this has been uh, tremendous. I, um, I we've only scratched the surface, right? This uh, this is hardly a testament uh, of worth to uh, your uh, your legacy as uh, as a player and all your All Star doings and your Basketball Hall of Fame ness and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, this has been. A tremendous conversation. We appreciate it. Uh, let me uh, also remind you, though, that we're going to be talking to Artist Gilmore, hopefully in the next month or so. Is there any, is there any, and I know you're fairly good friends with him and sort of keep in touch and all that kind of stuff, but uh, any question that you want me to ask Artist, maybe perhaps something that uh, only he and you might know that we could kind of surprise him with uh, once we find <laughs> a conversation set up? Yeah, yeah. Uh, ask him if it's true that he had to take a pay cut when he moved from Jacksonville to the Colonels. <laughs> That's an interesting, very loaded question. And I'll look forward to asking him that. I, I, I sense he'll have a good sense of humor about it. I'll tell, I'll tell you, Artis is one of the, uh, one of the most gentle, uh, affable people you will ever meet in your life. I, I, uh, I had a, a, just a few days ago was uh, Artis's 70th birthday. And I, I, I tweeted out on, on my Twitter account, uh, uh, happy birthday and what a dear friend he is. I, 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 w- we were up at the Hall of Fame. Of course, uh, as I told you, Bobby Jones, my teammate, uh, was inducted and, and Artis was up there. And, and Bill Russell was there. And we had a chance uh, to take a picture of me and Artis and Bill Russell. And I sent it to my son. And, uh, of course, Artisan and I are both uh, hair, hair follicle uh, challenged at, at the present time. But he sent my, my, my son sent a picture back uh, of, of Artis and I as colonels. And Artis has this huge afro. And I've got my hair down over my eyes. And my son said, what happened to the hair? <laughs> I, I will say, you all who are listening out there in podcast land, you got to look up. Uh, Dan and Artis, of course, had uh, tremendous locks of hair uh, going for them. So uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think that's how we choose to remember your playing careers and, and, and uh, days uh, in the ABA and NBA for sure. Quick uh, chance for a promotion. So you mentioned the website. Why don't you mention the website again? And, and can we see you? Do you do any of the card and or autograph signing circuits or are you out there doing other things besides uh, your uh, your Louisville to the NBA uh, uh, situation you know I'm, I'm really not I appreciate the the opportunity the web the website again is NBA two the number two NBA two Lou dot com and uh, we're getting ready to uh, redo that site in fact uh, we had a meeting about it this afternoon and uh, of course, my Twitter account is at uh, danisel 44 uh, And so, uh, anybody who would like to follow me on Twitter, I, I I didn't think I'd ever be part of social media, but I'm having a lot of fun with it. Well, look, I think it's a great way to stay in touch with uh, fans of all generations, right? And you know, if, if we leave you with any any one thing, I mean, there, as we said at the top, the I don't want to call it the ignorance, but it's certainly, you know, I think a lot of people today that look at the today's NBA or, or any version of pro sports and just how gargantuan and, and big moneyed and real estate driven and all these kinds of things, television rights, you know, there, there's a lot of history upon which uh, these successes and these uh, gigantic businesses have been built. And you, uh, among many, many others, players, uh, coaches, administrators, owners, et cetera, 
uh, for whatever reasons, you know, if if, if they've if sort of faded into the background of, of history, it's it's all part of it. It's all part of the tableau. It's all part of the fabric. And, uh, you know, knock on wood, you could hopefully sort of get that sort of round trip uh, with the return of uh, of the top tier of professional basketball in Louisville. Wouldn't that be something as a capstone? It would be absolutely terrific. And that's what we're working on every day, Tim. All right, Artis Gilmore, if you're listening, the uh, question is out there for you to answer, and we'll uh, look forward to hopefully getting you on a, a future episode where we can find out just what Dan meant by that uh, that curious little question there. And uh, we also want to remind you once again that uh, if you want to follow uh, what Dan and uh, his colleagues in uh, Louisville are doing uh, to, uh, to try to get an NBA franchise uh, to the great city of Louisville, Kentucky, whether that be via expansion or maybe even a relocated franchise, uh, I can think of a few. I'm just yeah, I'm not going to say the names out loud, but you can probably guess what some of those franchises could be. Uh, you can follow the website and uh, what they're doing at NBA2Lou.com. That's NBA, the number 2, Lou, L-O-U, dot com. And uh, I think you can follow them on Twitter at uh, NBA2Lou as well. Uh, I think they've got a uh, uh, an Instagram and a Facebook presence as well. Uh, so th- uh, that plus the website that you have no shortage of of ways to keep abreast of what uh, Dan and team are doing in Louisville uh, to get that NBA franchise. We wish them uh, enormous uh, success in that enterprise. And uh, we look forward to staying in touch, hopefully with him uh, and their efforts. And uh, we encourage you to uh, check in with them as well and, and support them in any which way you can. Uh, and God forbid, you know, it could be sort of a, a beautiful capstone. Uh, to the city of Louisville and pro basketball and, and Dan Issel's career, for God's sakes. Uh, and it may be a great way to sort of uh, etch in uh, for all time and memoriam the uh, the Kentucky Colonels in uh, sort of the uh, sort of uh, elegance, I guess, of uh, of the, uh, the the march of history where, you know, uh, people remember the ABA and, and perhaps express uh, what it, what got going uh, in uh, a new franchise uh, in the NBA. Let's see and let's hope, shall we? While you're uh, surfing the web there and, and bookmarking the uh, uh, the NBA2Lou.com site, why don't you go over to GoodSeatsStillAvailable.com, bookmark that for God's sakes, and check out all the cool stuff we got there, especially all of our 130-plus episodes uh, that we've done to date. They're all there for you to stream, to download, do whatever you want with them, uh, within legal reason, of course. Uh, and you also find all, all of our social uh, media feeds on Twitter. You can follow us at Good Seats Still. On Instagram, we're at Good Seats Still Available. You'll find us on Facebook as well. Our email address is hello at goodseatsstillavailable.com. And uh, also on the website, you can click on the link uh, in the, uh, I think it's the contact or connect section there of the website and uh, sign up for our email newsletter. Uh, and then you'll be in the, uh, the in the know. Uh, to find out what our episodes are going to be for the uh, upcoming week and sort of know before uh, the average Joe what's going to go uh, down that week in podcast land on this little program. All that stuff is great. Check out all of our uh, our great uh, our books and uh, T-shirts and all kinds of fun stuff uh, from our friends and our, our various advertisers and uh, colleagues. All, all of that is there for you and more to come, hopefully, on uh, goodseatsstillavailable.com. One last thanks, of course. Uh, to our pals at Podfly, in particular, of course, you know him, you love him, you can't live without him. Of course, he is the good doctor, Jerry Payne. They're not yelling boo, they're yelling Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. And uh, Podfly Productions, again, if you're interested in getting into this podcast thing, 
there's no better place, no better on-ramp, no better uh, support system, uh, production, editorial, show notes, you name it. You want to get going, check them out. Podfly Productions, you can find out more about them at podfly.net. Okay, we are done for this week. The ticket window is now closed. We can't wait to see you next week. Until then, take care, everybody. We love you. See you.